You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Nobody had to bring a, use a canoe to get here? All the rain we've been getting? You know, when we arrived, in, so during our vacation, we stopped in Seattle, or we hung out in Seattle for a little bit, and it rained when we got there just a little bit, and it was sunny the whole time, and uh, I got reports of just how wet it was here, so I don't know what's going on. But Well, it's good to be back. For those of you who are praying uh, for me uh, for just this time away, it was good. It was really, really good. Good for my heart, good for my soul. Uh, something, something I really needed. I, so we spent like seven days in Seattle and then we, we uh, took my mom and my stepdad to the Yellowstone area and we stayed in Idaho and just kind of drove in there. And uh, During that whole time, I uh, decided I was gonna bring only two books with me, my Bible and John Owen's uh, little book titled The Glory of Christ. And for those of you who are wondering, well, who's, who's John Owen? Uh, he's a guy who lived in the 1500s. And uh, The Glory of Christ is his magnum opus kind of book on just the, the majesty, splendor of, of Christ. And that's all I did uh, in terms of reading. And I did that in the mornings before anybody got up. And, uh, and each day, at least for 14 days straight, I, I would just open up to Jude and read through Jude. And then, then at some point, I think when we were in Idaho, as I took out my, I brought my, my little notebook and I just started writing observations down. And I've got uh, just dozens of observations from, from Jude. And, and that's what I did. It was so good for my heart and for my soul. We're going to s- start a sermon series in Jude. I'm not really going to do much by way of unpacking anything in Jude today. I'm going to highlight it a little, a little bit. What I want to do is I want to give you two reasons why a sermon series in Jude. Some of you are maybe asking right now, well, uh, I read Jude. How many of you have read Jude before? I just, okay, most of you. I read Jude, and, and if you're open to it now, you're probably noticing, there's, Keith, there's uh, 25 verses in Jude, you've preached sermons on 25 verses in one, in one Sunday. How long is this sermon series going to be? Well, not including today, it's going to be five weeks. And, and, and some of you may be asking, five, 25 verses, five weeks, wow. Um, why? I think by the, end of this, by the end of the sermon today, you'll know why. Jude is just, it's full of of. I mean, it's obviously the Word of God. It's just full of really great things, really great stuff that we need to hear. Not just Meadowbrook. I'm talking like the church in America, around the world, that needs to hear. And so we're going to do that. And then, and then so I have the two reasons. So I have one big reason, and then the other reason, I'm going to give you four, four reasons you know, underneath that. But the, the primary reason why fi- we're going to spend five weeks in Jude and this is one of the things that I was just processing and thinking through is, is this, is that at Meadowbrook Church, for myself and the elders, we believe that the best method of communicating the Word of God from the pulpit is through expository preaching. 
Now, some of you are like, well, what's the, uh, maybe asking, what's expository preaching? Expository preaching, which I'll explain even more detail in a little bit, um, but expository preaching in a nutshell is taking a verse, a, a paragraph, a, a, a chapter, or whatever, and, and allowing that section of Scripture to speak for itself in the context that it is and everything. So, so expository preaching is like working through verses of the Bible. I, as I reflected, and as I thought about, like this November will mark five years of me being your pastor, which is crazy. Time is flying. Uh, flown by. Uh, when we have worked our way through books of the Bible or sections of Scripture, like the Sermon on the Mount, you, as well as myself, have been most helped by that. that those have been the times where I've seen the most transition, a, a good transition, change uh, that has happened. I, for example, when I preached through the Sermon on the Mount, some of the, for some of you who are not here, I think we spent 37 weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when I was working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, some of you came into Meadowbrook dealing with some stuff, and this was like your first experience at Meadowbrook, and I just so happened to be preaching on a particular verse that addressed your situation directly without me having ever, not even met you. That's what I love about expository preaching. So you got expository preaching and topical preaching. Now, every once in a while, topical is fine, um, but a steady diet of that I don't think is healthy for the church. Why? Topical preaching is, okay, so I'm going to preach a sermon on five ways to be a, a better husband, and I'm going to pull verses from the, the Old Testament and New Testament to support each of my five points for how you can be a better husband. That's topical Expository preaching allows the, the Holy Spirit to use the text that you're speaking from to speak into your life. And you're just forced to deal with the next verse uh, as a pastor. And you remember, for those of you who were with us through the Sermon on the Mount series, there are two particular sermons in that series where my heart rate went, like, went from like 50-some beats per minute to 110 beats per minute just because we were dealing with some hard topics. That The text forced me, as your pastor, to uh, deal with and to address. The same thing is going to happen in Jude. Uh, during the, when we were getting ready for the questionable series, and I asked you to submit topics that you had not heard me preach on before, some of you submitted books in the Bible, like, just, hey, could you preach on this book, uh, a book of the Bible that was submitted? It was Revelation. Could you preach on the book of Revelation? Can you preach on, there are some, some Old Testament minor prophets, those are the shorter prophetic books in the Bible. Could you preach on that? that? And, and one of the books that was uh, requested was Jude, which got the wheels in my brain spinning. I'm like, well, I'd never preached on Jude before. I've read the doxology here, and I really like Jude, but I've never preached on it. So that's one of the reasons. But as I read through Jude over and over and over again, uh, it just became very clear to me just how much this is needed for us. Not just Meadowbrook, but just for the church. So um, that's, that's why. The other, the other reason is that we, through the mode of expository preaching, and I know I'm biased, and, I, and this is kind of like my MO, expository preaching, um, it allows the text of Scripture to speak for itself. You know, we... So the reason why we do expository preaching is we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it to be the Word of God. We believe it to be authoritative. 
that is fully inspired by the Holy Spirit who superintended the personality and language of, of, of individuals to reveal God's will to mankind in all matters of, uh, uh, of life in, in the 66 books that are contained in this Bible. That's, that's what we believe is the Word of God. Um, the elders and I believe that as the Word of God, it's our conviction that the Bible is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. Uh, in, our, our, in our statement of faith, we have a whole paragraph on the Word of God. Now, I, just, I will be on the screen here. Uh, we believe in the Bible, including the Old and New Testaments, is the divine revelation the original autographs of which were verbally inspired by the Holy Spirit, thus rendering them trustworthy and solely authoritative in faith and practice. The scriptures reveal the mind of God concerning the need and method of human redemption, the character and destiny of mankind, and are useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's on our website. That's our doctrinal statement. I think expository preaching honors that best, in my opinion. And so, in fact, uh, expository preaching allows us to, to, to uh, hear the, the, the mind of God, you know, through his word, and to have it speak into our lives. So that's, that's why expository preaching. So here's what I want to do. Jude is only 25 verses. It's not very long. I did this in the first service. Uh, I wasn't sure when I was going to do it, and it just seemed like it worked best by doing it in, in this part of the message. I want us, for our, the scripture reading, I want us to just, because uh, some of you have not read Jude before, I want, I want to do the scripture reading through Jude. I, I want to read all 25 verses of Jude. Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand this time, but I just want you to follow along. The words will be on the screen. I really strongly recommend that if you have a Bible, that you bring your Bible to church. It's good to, to be able to make notes and, and see it on pages. Uh, but if you want to look at a digital device or the Bible you brought or just follow along uh, on the, with the words on the screen, feel free to do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this. This is Jude. This is the word of the Lord, beginning with verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you, were once, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, 
serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden risks at your love feasts, or reefs in your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Isn't that fun? Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's how the church would receive these different epistles. It would be read to them. And, um, and so we, I think we should do that more often. So, so this is why I preach, we pre- I'm preaching through Jude. Um, this is why I feel like it's, it's necessary. It's, it's, it's loaded with all kinds of, of things that we'll unpack throughout the sermon series. But there's another reason why uh, I believe there's a need for, for the, a sermon series on Jude and why Jude is relevant, not just for today, but it's been relevant since, since it was written. And I want to give you four reasons. And uh, so there will be some verses and stuff that will be on the screen, and the four reasons will be on the screen, but my manuscript of this sermon will be available on our website, so you'll be able to download this and get all the other stuff that you might not have a chance to write down. But for reason number one, why 
Jude is necessary. There is a new Gnosticism that threatens the church today. Now, some of you are wondering, what's that? I've never heard of that before. Okay, I'm not going to go into all the details of it. We'll have plenty of time to do that through the sermon series. But, not, uh, but let me be overly simplistic about Gnosticism. Gnosticism, there were all kinds of, there were many variants of it. Um, and it, all the variants had some things in common. And here's what, here are three things that they have in common. And you'll be able to hear how, how the, you, there is a, a new Gnosticism even today. One is that they believe that the material world is governed by evil and ignorance. Two, true salvation is experienced through a secret or hidden knowledge or revelation. And three, truth is more subjective than objective. Those are three characteristics of, uh, of Gnosticism of old and Gnosticism of, 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 of today. Here, here's the other thing you need to know. Rarely is there anything that's new in terms of false doctrine. It is the same thing, just different dress throughout generations. So the old Gnosticism of it that plagued the first century church, um, it, it just wears a different dress today. And there are different variants of it. And so Jude was warning, and there are other books and other epistles in the Bible, also warning uh, the, the church of this danger, of this threat that threatened the church. Uh, there's, a, for example, Colossians, and I won't, I don't have, well, yeah, I think I do. You said I, yeah, so we, yeah, thank you, Thomas, for, I didn't have this for the first service. Um, so Colossians, Paul felt the need to address some of these variants of Gnosticism. He said, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, re referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and se se severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So that's, that's an example. There are other, there are other um, verses in the Bible or passages in the Bible that address these variant forms of Gnosticism. Galatians chapter, Galatians actually, Paul was addressing a, he was addressing a number of things. There was a form of legalism uh, that he was addressing, and there was also a, a kind of a variant of Gnosticism that he was addressing. And in Galatians chapter 1, he said, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That word accursed, by the way, is uh, anathema. Um, it means damned. And he goes on to say, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed, damned, anathema. Those are strong words. Actually, that word is used twice uh, in, in two places in the, in the New Testament. It's used here, and I believe it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, where Paul said, if anyone... Um, uh, basically, does not love um, Jesus or has no love of, of Jesus or of God, anathema. You can look that up sometimes. So he uses it there. So, um, so you have this new Gnosticism. But there, there's like variants. So what, what are those variants? Uh, well, ever since the, the early church, there were people who claimed that there are certain books and letters that should be equated as Scripture. Um, 
over time, we wound up with 66 books in the Bible. I wrote a whole e-letter on this. Um, if, you have, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. I'm sure it will come up in this sermon series a little bit. But, um, but there were other books or other Gospels that were said should be included in, in our Bible, like the, Gnost the Gnostic Gospels of Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary, where Jesus is described as being married, having been married to Mary Magdalene. Judas is uh, described as, in these, in these Gnostic uh, books, described as being the hero who received instructions from Jesus to actually betray Jesus, so he was just being obedient to Jesus. There are ancient scriptures. One of them is quoted in Jude that is not in our Bible for very good reasons. Uh, called pseudepigrapha. It's called false books, uh, where like Enoch is attributed to being, having, uh, being the author of, a, of, a, of really three books called Enoch, um, where throughout church history it's been rejected. We'll, we'll get into that when we get there, because Jude quotes, um, supposedly quotes from, from Enoch. Uh, and there are other places there's this, there's this, uh, there, there's this, uh, like what's in vogue right now, and uh, I mean, it, um, is this, you know, we have our books in the Bible, but, but there are these other books, and we should listen to them. So this is not new. This has been the case for generations since the first church, since the early church. And so Jude is addressing some, some of that. Um, there is a, uh, a resurgence among Christians that there is a secret knowledge that is uncovered, and we must embrace that secret knowledge again. This is some of the stuff the Bible's been warning us of. Uh, so that's one. Uh, two, related to both the old and new Gnosticism is a growing trend, and Jude, again, I believe Jude is addressing this, a growing trend to reject the belief that Jesus is God. Uh, this is why he says in verse 4 uh, that uh, these people pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Like, why would he use master and Lord in the same sentence? And, and there are a bunch of other things that he, that he says. Like, this, it's important to Jude, who, by the way, is a half-brother of Jesus. That's the next sermon. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. It's important to him that these Christians understand what is at stake. What is at stake with these false teachers that are coming in, that have secretly crept into uh, their churches? I don't know if these people that he's writing to is one church, like, like in a local geographic location, or if it's Christians over a group, you know, over a, a, a geographic location, like um, several cities, like what uh, First and Second Peter are written to, Christians spread throughout certain cities. Uh, so Gnosticism, so let me go back to Gnosticism a little bit. Like Gnosticism, one of the things that, like I already mentioned, one of the things that they, they believed was that, the, that everything physical was evil. Now, not all variants of Gnosticism believe that, but a large portion of them did. And so for them, Jesus possibly couldn't have risen physically from the grave. So like when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul says, if Jesus isn't risen from the grave, then then we're, we're to be pitied. Like, then we're damned. And so uh, they rejected that. So they rejected the, 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 the humanity of Jesus. And there are other groups who re reject the divinity of Jesus. And um, 
And so, so there's this growing trend to just question that. And here's why. Like, here's why Jude feels like it's necessary. Hey, don't trade Jesus in for, for some of this garbage that these false teachers are bringing you. Because listen, and we'll get into this in the sermon series, to, if you get Jesus wrong, you will get God wrong. Does that make sense? Um, let, me, let me explain it in two different ways. Can I give you two different illustrations, two metaphors or whatever you want to call it? If Jesus is not 100% God, 100% man, then the Trinity something that the church has believed and embraced, the majority of the church has believed and embraced for 2,000 years, then belief in the Trinity means that the church for over 2,000, for 2000 years has embraced and believed in a false God. If God, is, if God is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then the church, Meadowbrook, me, we have embraced a false God, an idol. Let me say it another way. If God is a trinity, if he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and if you reject Jesus as divine, then you have embraced a false God. That's what's at stake. This is why doctrine matters. It's not something you just throw out the window. It's not something you believe lightly or embrace lightly. Um, there is a word that's used for, for those who, who uh, and I've used this phrase, Paul uses it, for those who started off strong and have rejected the gospel. Because if you, if, if, if you get Jesus wrong, you get the gospel wrong. And, and uh, especially if you reject, um, in this case, I believe if you, re if, if you get the Trinity wrong, then, then, then you get the gospel wrong. If, if Jesus... Is, is God and you reject him as God, that's called apostasy. And if, I'm going to be, if I, reading the Bible and I see in the scriptures that Jesus is, is not God and I embrace him as God, I'm guilty of idolatry. Does that make sense? So we're going to we'll unpack that, but there's, there's a reason why. Several times through this, little, in 25 verses, multiple times, it, Jude inserts something about the nature and character of Jesus Christ. And he does it here um, in the opening verses. This is why doctrine matters. So my third point, we live in a day and age, this is why Jude is important, we live in a day and age when doctrine does not seem to matter among those, many of those who claim to be Christian. So, let me break this down for you. <laughs> I, was, I was reflecting on this during my vacation and, and my time away. This is the marvel of how God has communicated himself to us. So, obviously, like Hebrews chapter 1, God has revealed himself perfectly through his son. Okay, that's, he, he, he revealed himself through his son, and he has revealed himself through his word. Right? We all agree with that? Think about what that means. God, the God of all creation spoke to people through language. Think about that. What is language? 
So I read a, I read a study a while back that, that infants, when they're, from the moment that they're born, have the ability to enunciate every syllable in the human vocabulary. Not just in English or whatever, in the human vocabulary, God has put in the DNA of humans the ability to learn language. It doesn't matter what place in the world you're, you're, you're in. And th now think about what that means. So, so spoken language, we take sounds and we put them together that form meaning, right? The written word, we take symbols, we call them letters, and we put them together that form meaning, Right? And this is the mode by which God is, this is the instrument God has chosen to reveal his will to us. Here's, here's the crazy thing about all this. He did this with the construct of, of honoring all the grammatical rules that apply to English or to language. Right? So, so you, I, was, I mean, I was just blown away by this with Jude. When you look at, look at verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Think about the implications of that. What is he saying there? Next week we'll talk about what he's saying there. But the, like, what is he saying there? Or, um, you know, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. What does crept mean? Like God is, God is, he is superintended, he has inspired uh, his, you know, the, the writing of, of his word contained in these 66 books called, we call the Bible, and, and he has done that in, to, in, within the construct of grammar. So, um, our view of understanding all that the Bible teaches is subject, listen, I, you, this is so important, is subject to a reading or a studying of the Bible that takes a particular verse, a section, a paragraph, a chapter, a book in the Bible in its grammatical, theological, historical, cultural, and literary context. You've got to honor the, the structure of grammar to, to, to be able to study and accurately interpret the Word of God because that's what God used. It's kind of like when I was doing my, this year when I was doing Ride the Rockies, there are things in the Bible that don't address, I mean, like the Bible doesn't address um, like issues like if you put certain supplements in your body, it will construct your, 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 your blood vessels so that when you're doing some intense ride up some mountain and your heart rate's already being pushed or your body's already being pushed, that your blood pressure would get so dangerously high that you could have a stroke or a heart attack, like 180 over 100 and some, uh, it was like 180 over 100 and something. That was my blood pressure. And I had to quit Ride the Rockies because of a supplement. There are laws that govern our bodies that God has put in us. It's the same thing with grammar. And so we call that a biblical hermeneutic. There is a movement today, I'm wrapping this up, and it's not new, it's old, it's been around since forever, and the hermeneutic that is used to understand the Word of God is not a biblical hermeneutic, but a hermeneutic of the emotions. How do I feel about this passage? How do I, what do I think God is really like? When we're in Seattle, we went to a restaurant, it was, you could not avoid the whole, the, you know, Pride Week in Seattle. It was everywhere. 
we're at a we're a, we're in a, ho- um, a restaurant. It was one of the it was on our bucket li- or on our list of we should try this restaurant, and on, at every table was a pride flag and an individual flag representing said sexual identity, which I didn't know. Actually, I, was, I, was, I didn't know that there was individual flags for transgender, for this and for that, and for it just, your brain will explode. Um, and so I, I didn't know, so I asked the, our, our waiter, uh, uh, hey, or waitress, I asked our waitress, what, 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 is this, what are these individual flags? And so we were told, and I, looked, I Googled it and found out too. Um, because, and then uh, we're actually going to look at this in the sermon series. There's also called us. There's a new creed. I don't think it's new. I think the language is probably new. Um, I think it's pagan. It's called the Sparkle Creed. And uh, and there's all kinds of craziness going on in our world. Another reason why Jude is so important. Where God has given us His Word for us to be subject to his word through a, by reading it and, and understanding it and studying it in its grammatical, theological, historical, and cultural and literary context. Because you can make a verse in the Bible say whatever you want it to say, or try to anyway. But how does the word of God speak into my life? Uh, I came across a study that was done in, tw- uh, it was a survey done in 2022 by Ligonier Ministry State of Theology Survey. Now, this is in my notes, so you can look it up. I'm not going to list everything. But it was a broad survey, and in that broad survey, based on how people answer certain questions, put that, those people in a category we call evangelicals. Right? So if they indicated that they strongly agreed with the following, they were categorized as evangelicals. And then a, a deeper study one, uh, was done regarding them. So here are some of the things that they strongly agreed with, that, that resulted in these people being put in the category as, as, of evangelicals or orthodox, right? The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me, to, for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that would remove the penalty of my sin. And then... Um, uh, it was actually four of them. And only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal life. So that resulted in a category of people of evan- called evangelicals. And what was shocking in the study is what that group of people believed about the nature and character of God. Here are some of the things that came up. Almost three out of four people agreed with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Something I believe the apostles rejected, something our church fathers rejected. More than half believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So um, this is why I have said, uh, and I'll, repeat, I'll continue to say, that the God, so, so the God that the Mormons worship is a different God than what we worship. Why do I say that? Because they reject the Trinity. We embrace the Trinity as a church. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He, by nature, he, he is different than the God of Islam or the God of, of um, Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses. But more than half believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Judaism and Islam and others. More than half agree that worshiping alone or as once... More than half agree that 
Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regular, regularly attending church. More than half believe the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. More than half disagree with the claim that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. More than one in four disagree that every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Almost one-third agreed with the statement that God learns and adapts to different circumstances while only 43% disagree. That's, you know, uh, is God sovereign or is he not? And what the survey reveals is that many Christians today do not understand or hold to, as Jude says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then there's a fourth reason, and this, is, this gets more personal. This is, and I'm ending with this. There are great global sorrows that will be coming, I believe, in our generation. And I believe in the generation of my children. And um, I, as your pastor, the elders here, how am I preparing you for great global sorrows? I think the best way to do that is to give you the God of the Bible and not the God of my imagination or what somebody else says. And sometimes that means I upset some people. And I say things that are uncomfortable. And I don't get it right all the time either. Um, that's why I tell you, go home. Search the scriptures yourself in its grammatical, historical, theological, literary context. But do it. Do the due, due diligence. John Piper wrote something. I've, I've quoted him before, and I'll, I'll repeat it. I, I think it's so good. He said, Christians in the West are weakened by wimpy worldviews, and wimpy worldviews make wimpy Christians. God is weightless in our lives. He is not terrifyingly magnificent. His sovereignty, his sovereignty is secondary at best to his sensitivity. That's the day and age we live in, and this is why Jude is so important. I don't think Jerry will mind... Uh, Jerry's one of our elders, and on, on Facebook they've been tracking, he, he was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, and so, you know, he's been open about it. He felt the need to get a test done, not because he had symptoms, just because he thought it would be a good idea. And he has stage four cancer. And um, I was... I was told when I took my ordination charge, and I agreed, that if I have to preach on ashes, then ashes I must preach. And the question I'm forced to ask, and Jerry and I were talking about this, ashes was not mentioned, but in a sense, he's standing on ashes in the sense of their world has been totally rocked and turned upside down. It has taken a different course that they didn't see coming. And what is it that's going to guide them, and keep them. Jude tells us, like this, Jerry and I were talking about this in his office, like Jesus is master and Lord. He is master and Lord. He is curious, he's Lord. He is the, he is, he, he's got authority and he's master. He's a sovereign one. And then as, as you read through Jude, you learn that in the, in the doxology, and the worship team can come up here, uh, in the doxology, we, we, he tells us, he reminds us that who is it that's keeping us? Like, what, who's keeping you, Christian, from your faith being capsized? Who's keeping you from being, from being consumed by the ashes that you're standing on? Jude tells us, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen? That matters. That matters. And when I was sitting in that Seattle uh, restaurant, well, all those individual flags, just, and I commented to my wife and to our friends that were with us, they have made sex an idol, and they are worshiping it, and they are confused, and they are lost, and they're going to hell. And we have the gospel. We have the faith that was handed down to us from the apostles and from the saints. We stand on that rock and we proclaim the gospel, the only gospel that has power to transform lives. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.